Hello and welcome back to the Going Dutch podcast, a look at the wonderful world of German football brought to you by the Sports Blitz, a week of weird quotes, red cards completely changing games and St. Pauli disappointing me because they can't put a single shot on target or at least that's what it felt like anyway. So a lot to go into, a lot of good, a lot of bad, a lot of things I forgot to mention in the last episode on Thursday. Okay, one thing I forgot to mention in the episode on Thursday. But anyway, welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well. I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual. Remember to go to anchor.fm forward slash vSports to find a way you can play this podcast. You can also play it there or you can keep doing what you're doing because you're currently playing a podcast at the moment. You are the Borussia Dortmund of playing podcasts. And remember to go to the Sports Blitz website for writing about something or other. I don't really know. I've not done an article in ages now except for power rankings. Week 7's power rankings will be up later in the week. So a couple of things to go into before we begin the podcast then. First of all, talked about the Golden Boy nominees a couple of episodes ago and the winner of the Golden Boy Award was Gavi of Barcelona. Now, it's fair to say that Gabby's been playing exceptionally well for Barca, but to be honest, he was in a field with Jamal Musiala, Jude Bellingham, and to, you know, take away from the German bias, Pedri. And I think that he's not as good as any of them, or at least he's not shown as much talent as any of them. I would have given it to Bellingham personally. I know I'm ridiculously biased. But if not him, then Pedri and Musiala also deserved a good shout as well. To be honest, maybe Gavi just edges Musiala. But for me, Bellingham and Pedri, when it comes to young players in the European game at the moment, they're just a, a league ahead of everyone else. So to be honest, I'm glad for him because he seems like a really likeable player and a really good player as well. But I would not have been coming to the same decision. Something else that caught my eye this weekend, I believe it was original Reddit content from the user Miasek. He did, or she, did a first half table among the top five European leagues for last season. So taking out the second half and seeing what the difference would have been if the second half just did not happen in those top five leagues. I highly recommend finding it if you can. Because obviously it talks about the league, the Premier League, Serie A league, and, and all of them are interesting. But of course, for this podcast, we're only going to focus on what it said about the Bundesliga. And the champions of the Bundesliga last year would have been Bayer Leverkusen. They would have got three points more through the season if they had not played any second half. Would have finished on 67 points. But the interesting thing is, Bayern would have lost 11 points and finished on 66. So what I'm essentially saying is, guys, we need to ban the second half. The second half, maybe Florentino Perez, when he made that stupid 40-minute per half claim, was onto something. Let's just completely wipe out the second half. Let's just have the first half, and the Bundesliga would be better as a result. Just talk through some of the other interesting uh, findings. Gladbach would have finished third last year on 58 points, a gain of 13 points from where they actually finished. Dortmund would have finished sixth. They would have lost 16 points. Union Berlin would have lost 11 points and finished eighth. Köln would have lost 13 points 
and finished 11th. Surely someone else has got to be benefiting from all of these points. Well, it would have been Greuter Firth, who would have been in the relegation playoff game as opposed to going down. They would have gained 13 points and been on 31 in total. Stuttgart and Armenia Bielefeld going down in their plates. Um, the only two teams who didn't have any change all season from the second half only analysis was Freiburg who finished fifth on 55 points and gained a place because of how many points Dortmund lost and Armenia Bielefeld who would have finished last but still on 28 points like they got in the season in reality so it was absolutely fascinating I highly recommend going and finding it it was on r-soccer it was a really interesting post and the other leagues were just as fascinating as well though those leagues aren't covered on this podcast so we're not going to talk about them any further two things I wanted to talk about in last episode and completely forgot first of all the marvin dush controversy that was completely overshadowed by Werder bremen being knocked out of the fp pokal against paderborn in controversial circumstances but he had been i guess the word is deselected for Werder before the game because he had missed several uh, training sessions and a team meeting in the build-up to the match so ole Werner said He's not playing. He, he can't miss this many important training sessions and team meetings and expect to make the side still. So that was good decisive management. Very shocking because maybe I get the sort of wrong impression because obviously I don't get to know as much about these players as I would wish sometimes because I don't come up in the UK media. But I've always thought of Marvin Dusk as a hard worker and a talented player and not one of these people who would miss training. I mean, maybe his alarm didn't go off or something. I don't know what's going on. I obviously wouldn't want to make comments about his character because, like I said, I just don't know. So that was really quite surprising. Of course, the game went to a penalty shootout, which Paderborn won. Who knows if Marvin Dusk is in that penalty shootout lineup, maybe he scores a penalty. I'm not saying it was the wrong decision, by the way. Like I said, I thought it was the correct decision from Ole Werner. But who knows how the game changes if Marvin Dusk is playing up front with Nicholas Fulkrug as per usual. I also completely forgot to mention on a far less important note, congratulations to Lettuce on beating Liz Truss. I can't believe I actually forgot to mention that. That's absolutely wild to me. But yeah, you may have seen as the premiership of Liz Truss came to an end, the Daily Star, a publication of the UK, decided to do a battle to see who would last longer, Liz Truss or a random lettuce for their votes, and the lettuce won. <laughs> like, that's what the UK has been reduced to. It's funny, but also depressing, because, like, that's that's our main political thing now, is whether lettuce can outlast prime ministers. And uh, it was really funny, though. So I was like, I'm definitely going to make a reference to it in the podcast. I'm definitely going to make a reference to it in the podcast. And then I just didn't. So I've decided to do it far too late on a podcast that has nothing to do with British politics. So, you know, better late than never. Anyway, speaking of the DFB Pakal, the draw for the third round has been made. So, in the round of 16, it's Sandhausen against Freiburg in the Battle of the Oval Black and White Logos. Honestly, I used to get them too confused all the time when I first started watching German football more in depth. Paderborn against Stuttgart, should be better against Stuttgart. Union Berlin against Wolfsburg. Eintracht Frankfurt against Darmstadt. 
Bochum against Borussia Dortmund, Mainz against Bayern Munich, Leipzig against Hoffenheim in the Battle of the Hating, the 50 plus 1 World Derby, and Nuremberg against Fortuna Dusseldorf, meaning that there will be at least one Schweizer Bundesliga side in the next round. Obviously, there are a few really fascinating fixtures in that. Union Berlin against Wolfsburg, obviously. Eintracht Frankfurt against Darmstadt, I think, will be an amazing fixture. Bochum, we'll get on to how Bochum did over the weekend, but that is not a walkover for Borussia Dortmund. And of course, Nuremberg for Schindler Dusseldorf with Marcus Feinziel going in to Nuremberg. And the chance to see a Spider side in the next round, that's going to be an interesting game as well. Though one that not many people are going to watch, of course. Or not many neutrals, I should say. Obviously, Nuremberg and Dusseldorf have major fan bases, but it's not going to be one that many neutrals are going to be viewing. I should just stop talking about it. I'm just digging a hole. I'm just going to drive away fans of those teams. So let's, let's move on. Let's move on to the Bundesliga. Match day 11, there were an average of 3.78 goals per game. It was absolutely incredible. The goals flying in across the Bundesliga. Definitely one of the best match days we've had this season. It was fantastic. Let's talk about a game that actually went under that average first. Because Union Berlin, the league leaders, lost away to bottom of the table, Bochum 2-1. Of course, any discussion of this game is going to have to start off with the controversial moment early on. In the 17th minute, Ivan Odets was given a yellow card for a very harsh foul outside of the box, just outside the box. And to be honest, it seemed like an absolute easy red card. I am shocked that VAR didn't overturn it. The commentators on the Bundesliga World Feed were going, well, surely this is going to be upgraded. I, I believe Mark Schwartz, by the way, was commentating, which I was a big fan of. He was saying it was as bright a red card as you could get. And it was. It was stood showing out of control. A very, very poor foul by Ivan Odette. The Bochum fans originally booed the decision to give a yellow card. But I'll be honest, if they've seen the replays, he'll know that they got away with one there quite easily. It was a shocking decision from the referee. I will say it did look worse on the replay, or should I say it didn't look as bad at full speed. So I can understand him giving the yellow card at first, but the replays and, and the angles showed that it was a red card. It should have been given as a red card. But it wasn't, and of course, the immediate thought after that sort of decision, especially with what had come the day before and the day before that, as we'll be mentioning later on in the podcast, how much a red card can change a game and how much red cards have changed games of the weekend, it felt like if Bochum got anything out of this game, we'd be sat here going, oh God, that decision to not give a red card, hey? And, well, look what happened in the 43rd minute Bochum took the lead, a Philip Hoffman, not him, header from a corner to give Bochum the lead at the half-time break. They started off the better side of the second half and give credit to Bochum because their second goal was absolutely fantastic. Really good passing play on a counter-attack to set up Gerrit Holtman to put Bochum 2-0 up. 
Union were down, but definitely not out. That goal came in the 71st minute. With their quality, we knew they could get at least two quick goals in that time frame. And seven minutes later, they looked like they could be about to mount a comeback. A penalty was given in their favour after the AR view, to be honest. A bit light. Like, I saw the decision live and I've watched the replays since and I still can't tell you with 100% conviction what the penalty was actually given for because it was from a corner, it was a bit of a melee in the box but like I cannot point to a single thing that happened and went that is definitely what the penalty was given for. I think one of the Union players had their foot trodden on by accident, maybe it was that but honestly I couldn't tell you anyway. The football gods clearly didn't agree with it because Milos Pantovic did a solid one for his former employer and poor penalty saved by Manuel Veeman in the Bochum goal and after that to be honest it didn't feel like Union Berlin were going to be able to come back into this game that sort of sapped all of their remaining energy they would score in the 93rd minute and it would be Milos Pantovic making up for his earlier missed penalty, except not really, because this goal came far too late to mount a serious comeback. A half volley from Pantovic inside the box. But that was it. Bochum won 2-1. And credit to them, and credit to Thomas Lecht, because Bochum played really well in this game. They took on the league leaders, the best team in Germany so far this season, and they outperformed them for the most part. Union, it was a disappointing game, of course, we go back to that incident at the beginning of the game of the 14th minute. Uh, was it the 14th or was it the 17th? I've already forgotten. It was the 17th minute, I apologise. But we go back to that moment and think how much different this game could have been if that red card was correctly given. But that's not going to be a good enough excuse for Urs Fischer. He demands the best from his players at all times. So to be honest, when you're taking on bottom of the league, when you're the team leading the league, especially, you know, 11 games into the season, you should be beating them. So, Union aren't perfect. We knew they weren't going to mount a serious challenge for the Bundesliga title, at least. We think they're not going to mount a serious challenge for the Bundesliga title. Of course, they are still top of the league after this round of fixtures. But this was a really good game for Bochum, and it shows that, you know, the season's not over yet for them. Well, of course it's not. There's 23 games to go. So... At the start of the year, in their first few games under Thomas Rice, it looked like, you know, they weren't going to be able to do anything of note this year. They're going to be this season's greater firth. Thomas Lech is proving that might not be the case, and they are off bottom of the Bundesliga table as a result of this game. Let's go to a game that had more than the average number of goals in this match day. Borussia Dortmund 5, Stuttgart 0. A fantastic performance from Borussia Dortmund, of course, We've been saying that Dortmund haven't had a really good convincing win this season. They've only been getting ugly wins. Well, here it is. This is the convincing win that Dortmund so desperately needed after a mediocre start to the season. First goal coming in the second minute from their star player in this game. A guy we've already mentioned as well, Jude Bellingham, who had an absolutely fantastic performance. He finished off some neat passing play about a minute and a half on the clock. In the 13th minute, Nicolas Sula made it 2-0, volleying in a free kick. It was absolutely fantastic. You don't expect that sort of finish from a centre-back. 
and just before the half-time break, Borussia Dortmund would make it 3-0. It was another one of their young guns. I'm not saying Sula's a young gun, I'm saying Bellingham's a young gun. But Gio Reyna with the finish to make it 3-0. A neat finish just inside the box. And Dortmund had been really, really impressive to start off the game. They didn't really take their foot off the gas in the second half. Either in the 53rd minute, Jude Bellingham would get his second of the game. Another neat finish from just outside the box this time. And then in the 72nd minute, Yusofa Makoko, another one of the Dortmund young stars, would make it 5-0. He had a tap-in after some great passing play. Stuttgart did have the ball in the net in the 89th minute, but Luca Pfeiffer's shot was ruled out for an offside. And Dortmund were absolutely fantastic. They were very convincing in this game. They deserved everything they got. And there are literally no faults to have with how they played. Two funny things came about in the post-game interview. Gio Reyna, while standing next to Jude Bellingham, was asked how the two sort of help each other, how Rain decided to interpret the question was how he had sort of helped Jude Bellingham mature as a player and he gave a really funny answer. He said essentially, oh, you know, I've really taken him under my wing and when he first came to the club, he was a bit of a, uh, a bit of a cocky kid and, you know, I've really, I've taken him under my wing and I've helped mature him and make him a, a adult and really helped his development in that way. <laughs> It's really nice to see the elder statesman of the Bundesliga like Gio Reyna taking these young starlets under their wing. It is nice to see the chemistry the Dortmund players have, though, between each other. It's a really harmonious squad, even if the start of the season hasn't been great before this game. Erdin Terzic, speaking about Jude Bellingham, who, like I said, was easily the best player in this game. Though, obviously, like I also said, every Dortmund player played well. But speaking about Bellingham in particular... Erdin Terzic said that he is the oldest 19-year-old he's ever seen. Erdin, that's not how that works. But his maturity is something to be praised, definitely. And this Dortmund performance was one to be praised as well. Hopefully a sign of things to come. Augsburg 3, Leipzig 3. Wow, talk about a tale of two halves. This was... A game that started off unexpected and then finished in an even more unexpected way somehow. Speaking before the game, Marco Rosa said that Augsburg weren't a side that Leipzig would be taken lightly and that they'd be, you know, he knew that they were going to be a hard side to face, especially in Augsburg. And he went about proving that as Augsburg raced out into a 3-0 lead. The first goal coming in the 34th minute, a Berisha Penalty, correct call on that. It became 2-0 in the 51st minute with a Demirovic header from a corner. And then in the 64th minute, Ruben Vargas would make it 3-0, flicking up a free kick before volleying it in. It was definitely one of the best goals of the weekend. Now, when we talked about the Bochum Union Berlin game, we talked about how a red card can massively change how a game goes. Obviously, Football fans know this, but we had two glaring examples of this of the weekend. And the second of them came in the Augsburg game. Iago had a complete moment of madness. In the 65th minute, he went in for a harsh challenge on Schlager. And 
as Slaga was getting up, he retaliated against him and tried to like chest him to the ground. It, it actually worked. Slaga did fall over. And the referee decided that both of those incidents, the harsh challenge and then lashing out his opponent, were both worthy of yellow cards. And so Iago was sent off in that most humiliating of ways, being shown one yellow card, then being shown another yellow card, and then the red card, all in one go. It was the space of five seconds between that tackle and that lash out at Schlager. So he got two yellow cards in the space of five seconds and... It was just utter insanity, right? We'll talk about it again later on because there was a, an incident in the Mainz-Kiln game which was also stupid. But, like, there is no explanation for that. There is no acceptable explanation for what Iago did. It was absolutely stupid. But you know what? It's okay. Augsburg are 3-0 up against Leipzig. I mean, come on. I know Leipzig are good, but... They're not going to score three goals in 23 minutes. That would be ludicrous. Iago probably started to sweat a bit more in the 73rd minute when Leipzig got their first goal back. Andre Silva, remember him? He used to be good and everything. Had a tap-in. But you know what? It's fine because it's the 88th minute and it's still Augsburg 3, Leipzig 1. They've defended with 10 men very admirably and they're going to hold on for the victory. I mean... It's not like Leipzig are going to score two goals in, in the remaining time, right? I mean, only only Werder Bremen can do that. Except then in the 89th minute, Christopher Nkunku hit a free kick straight into the top corner to make it 3-2. Probably panicking a bit more at this point. And they should have been because Hugo Navoa, who apparently is a player for Leipzig, never heard of him to be perfectly honest. Well, Pamela's played 21 games for them, but this was his first goal for Leipzig. Poor defending, he was the only one to really react to a spill from the keeper. The other, well, the Augsburg defenders just sort of stood there like statues and allowed him to score his first goal for Leipzig, or at least what this app says is his first goal. So, yeah, not not great. To be 3-0 up against one of the better sides of the Bundesliga and then to completely blow it because of an absolutely terrible sort of moment of madness from one of your players. I, If I was Iago, I maybe would lay low for a bit. Just don't go out. Just, you know, apologise quietly. Maybe my text. And then just, like, don't get in anyone's way because they're going to be quite mad. So, yeah. After what looked like a really promising start to the game, while well, it was a really promising start, and, you know, the continuation of how great Augsburg have been playing over the last few months, they've really taken the league by storm. They're hitting fantastic form, all blown by one moment of utter lunacy. Moving on, Bayer Leverkusen 2, Wolfsburg 2. A really interesting game. Obviously, Xabi Alonso now having a win, a loss, and a draw through his opening three fixtures in the Bundesliga. Started off well for Bayer Leverkusen. In the 10th minute, they were given a penalty, and VAR asked the referee, I believe it was uh, Dr. Felix, wasn't it? I can't remember his last name. It's not Felix, Raya. But they asked the referee to go look at the monitor. He did, and he stuck with his decision. I, I could see both sides of the argument, to be honest. I, I can see why VAR asked him, to review it, I can see why he didn't change his mind. It was 
one of those where it could go either way. Hansi Flick was in the crowd for this game and he looked a bit confused at the decision because I think, you know, we've got into a position now where if we see the referee going over to the monitor, we think, oh, well, it's going to be a reversal of his decision, right? It always is. But Dr. Felix wanted to prove that's not the case. Anyway, it didn't matter because Moose Diaby, who missed his only other penalty of the season, missed this one as well and it was wide. And I can't remember if we talked about it on this podcast or if I just said it to a person in an actual conversation. No, actually, it, it wasn't on this podcast. But there is no excuse for just missing a penalty like wide, not even forcing the keeper to save it and not even hitting the woodwork, just missing it entirely. There really is no excuse when you're at this level. And that's what Moose Diaby managed to do, but he did make up for it just seven minutes later. He used his speed to run through onto the end of a pass from Adam Trozek, and he slotted past the keeper, Colin Castells, which gave Bayer Leverkusen a 1-0 lead. Still, it's not been a period of great luck for Bayer Leverkusen. Obviously, they missed the penalty earlier in the game. And then in the 28th minute, they would add to their bad luck. Robert Andrich with a fantastic finish. First touch straight into the top corner. It was in his own net, one all. And to be honest, in a year of bad Leverkusen defending, this might actually be the worst defending they've had all year because there was absolutely no need for it. There was no need for him to do anything rash like that. And he just panicked and lobbed it into his own top corner, essentially. It was absolutely wild. Nothing Fredeki could have done about that, in all fairness. It's the first on goal that Robert Andrich has scored since that one he conceded for Union Berlin against Frankfurt back in the 2020-21 season. And you might remember that because it was one of the worst on goals ever where he like tried to pass it back to the keeper not knowing where the keeper was and the keeper slipped whilst trying to get to the ball and it just idly rolled into the net. So, I had memories of that, which weren't particularly great. And this was another just comical, ridiculous on goal from Andrich to level the scores. Wolfsburg would be the next team to get a penalty in the second half. This one was more clear, and Maximilian Arnold's finish was definitely better straight into the top corner to give Wolfsburg a 2-1 lead. And to be honest, I didn't have much hope for Bayer Leverkusen after that. But if there's been one player for Leverkusen who's been absolutely brilliant so far this season, it's been Jeremy Frimpong. And once again, he saved the day for Bayer Leverkusen. He was the best player in this game for them. And fantastic run by Saley St. Graven to set up Frimpong. It did help the Wolfsburg defence turned into statues whilst Bayer Leverkusen were scoring that. But it was really good play both by St. Graven and by Frimpong. And it was a really good goal, a really impressive one. And it gave Bayer Leverkusen a point, maybe a much-needed point as well. Because for the most part, it did feel like Bayer Leverkusen did deserve something out of this game. Like I said, they had some moments of extreme like bad luck with the missed penalty and the Robert Andrich comical own goal. You know, it felt like the football gods weren't smiling down on them. But with that... Moment of really good play at the end, they rescued a point, and maybe that could be something that helps Jerry Alonso and the team mentality-wise moving forward into their next fixtures. Frimpong, after having a good game, sort of had a really bad moment because at the end of the game, he kicked the ball away in frustration and straight into the face of a young fan. 
it's just like I I don't feel like Frimpong's a monster or anything like this because you see that sometimes when these things happen. The player gets absolutely slated. I don't think it's it's that bad. It's not like we see way worse happen in football, but to the same time, you should be aware that people you know like standing there in, in the stands. It's not we're not in the COVID days anymore with no fans. So he can't be doing that. He did make up for it. He went over and gave the boy his shirt and apologised profusely. So that was nice. But it was it was a really dumb idea. So just don't do it in the future. You know, that's a note for all players. Just don't kick the ball away in frustration like that because this could very easily happen. Still, it was a good performance for Bayer Leverkusen. They did deserve something in the end. Borussia Mönchengladbach 1, Eintracht Frankfurt 3. Did Darmstadt break Mönchengladbach? Because in the first half, they were absolutely terrible in this game. Jesper Lindstrom opened the scoring for Eintracht Frankfurt in the sixth minute. A great run through the defence before getting it just under Sippel, the backup goalkeeper for Gladbach. Obviously, Jan Sommer injured after the game in the Pokal. And the ball just sort of idly rolled over the line. In the 29th minute, Eric Abembe made it 2-0 from a corner. And in the 45th minute, Jesper Lindstrom would get his second goal of the game. He was absolutely wide open in the box. A good pass by Randall Colomwani. It was a very easy finish after that. The shocking thing about the first half for me was just how much space Eintracht Frankfurt were able to get into, especially in and around the Borussia Mönchengladbach box. We think of Gladbach as, well, maybe not having the best defence in the Bundesliga, but, you know, being a very sound unit, and Daniel Farker has been playing fantastically, but the defending of the first half was absolutely unforgivable. They did get better in the second half, but the problem is, is that by then, it was already too late. They were 3-0 down against the Frankfurt side who weren't going to be giving up three goals in a hurry. Munchengladbach, of course, did get a goal back in the second half, in the 72nd minute when Marcus Turam sprang the offside trap and just got it under the keeper. The funny thing about that is that when he scored, the camera immediately cut to Daniel Farker, who was just running down the tunnel. Daniel, where are you going? There's still like 20 minutes left. What are you doing? The game's over here. Maybe he heard that there was some coffee and cake in the dressing room. And he was like, you know, I'm going to get that before the team are allowed to get it. But the game was a fairly drab affair after that, so sort of petered out into a clear and comfortable Eintracht Frankfurt win. There was one notable moment, which was that the game was held up for several minutes because one of the cables for the spider cam, which is, you know, the overhead camera that they use, fell onto the pitch and... <laughs> That, that wouldn't have been nice to trip over. But yeah, it's sort of like something you don't normally see. And yeah, it held up play for quite a while. Spider cam, spider cam does whatever a spider cam can, like dropping its cables onto the, the pitch. I'm quite surprised it didn't like fall down or it didn't require like extensive repairs or something. Because you'd think just like one of the cables falling out of nowhere was... A bad sign but apparently it didn't need much more attention after that or either they fixed it really quickly but it was a really good performance from Eintracht Frankfurt they continue to surprise moving into a Champions League place which I'll be honest I didn't have them achieving at the start of the year 
Hertha Berlin 2, Schalke 1. The best disallowed goal of the season so far came in this game in the 15th minute. The former Union player Sebastian Poulter with a fantastic, powerful volley hit straight into the top corner. It was absolutely sensational. It would have almost definitely been goal of the weekend and a serious contender for goal of the season, but there was a marginal offside in the build-up. It disallowed the goal. It was a correct decision, but it was an unfortunate decision. It kind of reminded me, if you read following St. Pauli last year, of the Daniel Kofi-Ture goal that was disallowed against someone. And, you know, I was just like, I wish we had a competition for the best disallowed goal, because... Chire would have won it last year. I've got a feeling Poulter would win it this year. And, you know, when it rains, it pours for Schalke because they had a second goal disallowed after that for offside as well. Hertha Berlin started to grow into the game after that. They took the lead at the beginning of the second half of the 49th minute. And their former keeper, Alexander Schlowo, coming back and proving they were right to move on from him because he should have done more to save the shot from Lucas Tassart. It wasn't a particularly powerful shot. It was quite close to him and he should have been able to save it, but he allowed it to go in and Hertz took a 1-0 lead. Schalke would equalise though in the 85th minute. It looked like we are going to get a vital point, something to celebrate. The changes they've been making through the game had started to work and the goal came from Florent Molay, a really good hit on the half volley. And like I said, at that point, it looked like Schalke were going to get a point. They'd been getting better through the game. The changes they made had worked, and suddenly they were going to leave with a point. But not if Wilfred Kanga had something to say about it, and Wilfred Kanga did have something to say about it. His first Bundesliga goal, he sprung the offside trap after a really good pass from Stefan Jovetic and was able to hit it into the bottom corner. So a really good game for him, a really good game for Hertha who continue to be competent this season, which, you know, is, is all you can really ask for after the last few seasons. It's our first home win of the season as well. They did have a bit of luck go their way, but they were still the better side for most of the game. For Schalke, it's their sixth straight loss in all competitions. The interim manager, who I cannot remember the name of, said in his post-game presser, this pit is not a pit. That might be a translation ever, to be perfectly honest. But it sparked the great philosophical debate of when is a pit not a pit? I'll tell you, I fell in the pit, you fell in the pit, and Schalke have most certainly also fallen in the pit. Because, again, bar that sort of window at the start of the first half and in the second half leading up to their equaliser, they were not the better side in this game and they've still got a lot of questions to answer as they now drop to the bottom of the Bundesliga table. Anyway, three more games to go into then from the Bundesliga. Mainz 5, Köln 0. Well, obviously a dominant game from beginning to end for Mainz. They opened the scoring from the penalty spot. Luke Killian bringing down Kareem Anisiwo. Marcus Embarkson scored for penalty. Killian was given a yellow card. And a few minutes later, he'd be given his second yellow card. Again, another moment of madness. He just sort of shoulder barged Anisiwo off the ball. And... Considering he was on a yellow card, that is not a challenge you can make. It was going to be given a yellow card 10 times out of 10. His shock was shocking in and of itself as he was given a red card, rightfully so, by the referee. He really had no other option. 
Before that, Köln looked like they could probably give Mines a game. After that, it did not look like that. 2-0 in the 35th minute, Dominic Kerr scoring with his second attempt. 40 minutes in, it was 3-0. Anton Statch drilling into the bottom corner from just inside the box. Stefan Baumgart had not made any changes after the red card. He only decided to make changes after it became 3-0. And it's like, mm, dude... I love you, but really should have made those changes earlier. Anyway, that was a half-time score. The second half wasn't particularly better for Kiln. And to be honest, whilst you can debate the timing of Bamgart's changes, you can also feel sympathetic for him because this game was never going to go well after that red card. 73rd minute, it became 4-0. Amin Martin with a fantastic free kick. Even if Kiln had had 15 players on the pitch, there was nothing they were going to do about that straight into the top corner. His second great free kick of the year because he scored that one against Bushy Munch and Gladbach as well a few weeks ago, you might remember. And in the 84th minute, it became 5-0. Janisiwo, the relationship starting to bloom again this season. Jonathan Burkhart playing a great ball through to Kareem Anisiwo for a well-deserved goal. He was arguably the man of the match in this game for Mines. He really did deserve a goal. So yeah, a dominant performance from Mines. They've moved into the European places. They've have been in the European places before. No? No, I don't think they were. I don't know, to be honest. I would have to go back and look at the table from last week. Freiburg 2, Werder Bremen 0. Boo! Why do teams keep beating Werder Bremen? No bias whatsoever on going Deutsch. Marco Friedel was sent off in the 14th minute for a last man challenge on Mikhail Gregovic. It was the correct decision. It took Freiburg until the second half to actually score. Lucas Kluber with a really good finish in the 56th minute before Vincenzo Grifo added one from the penalty spot. This will not surprise you considering Mines played 76 minutes with man advantage but they were the better side and deserved the win. Final game, Hoffenheim nil, Bayern Munich 2 and again, not exactly a surprise result. Bayern were easily the better side. Jamal Musiala scoring in the 18th minute wide open on the back post. The defending should have been much better for that. And then in the 38th minute, Bayern would give a second and final goal of the game. Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting, or as I call him, God, with a good finish inside the box it's his fifth goal in 10 games this season for Bayern Munich and he has been a really valuable member of the team credit to him I don't I think I said this last week but I didn't have the answer for who should replace Lewandowski being Eric Choupo-Moting so <laughs> it's nice to see him doing well uh, Julian Nagelsmann was talking about the, in his words, surprising level of hatred he gets from the Hoffenheim fans for all five of them. But he was able to take revenge against those fans who aren't big fans of him. Anyway, let's have a look at the Bundesliga table then after 11 games. Despite their loss against Bochum, Union Berlin still top the league 23 points. One point ahead of Bayern Munich on 22 in second. One point ahead of Freiburg on 21 in third. One point ahead of Eintracht Frankfurt in fourth. One point ahead of Borussia Dortmund in fifth. One point ahead of Mainz in sixth. One point ahead of Hoffenheim in seventh. One point ahead of Leipzig, Mönchengladbach and Köln from eighth through tenth. One point ahead of Werder Bremen in eleventh. One point ahead of Augsburg in twelfth. So that's first to... 
12th, who are all sort of like separated by like a point each. So Union 23, Bayern 22, Freiburg 21, Frankfurt 20, Dortmund 19, Mainz 18, Hoffenheim 17, Leipzig 16, Gladbach 16, Köln 16, Bremen 15, Augsburg 14. So yeah, really nice sort of pattern to the league so far. At the wrong end of the table, Schalke have six points. They drop into last place because of Bochum's win there on seven points. Stuttgart are on eight in 16th place, which is one point behind Bayer Leverkusen on nine in 15th place. And they're two points behind Wolfsburg and Hertha Berlin in 14th and 13th on 11 points. And that's literally every team in the Bundesliga covered. Okay, let's go down into the spite of then. Hamburger 2, Magdeburg 3. Maybe St. Pauli broke Hamburger in the same way that Darmstadt broke Gladbach. Magdeburg took the lead in the 11th minute. Baris Attic with a great ball through to Alhan Curry, who somehow got it past Hoy Fernandez from a fairly narrow angle into the side of the net. Attic would then score to make it 2 0 in the 51st minute. He was completely unmarked in the box. The HSV defending was, while absolutely terrible for that, was an easy tap in for him. HSV had been playing well through most of the game, but they had been wasteful with their chances. They finally converted in the 58th minute through Ransford, Yeboa, Koenigsdorfer, who has been fantastic for them this year. A great cross from Rice through a crowd of bodies to find him. The next thing was that Hamburger scored again, but the goal was disallowed. And I... I didn't agree with them disallowing it. I believe they, they disallowed it for a foul in the build-up, but I I wouldn't have disallowed it. So I can understand Hamburger fans being somewhat annoyed with that, and especially because afterwards Magdeburg would make it 3-1 in the 88th minute, seemingly finishing the game. A good ground cross finished off by Julian Rieckmann. Like I said, that seemed to be the end of the game, but... Hamburger would score in the 93rd minute to try and make it interesting through Tom Sane, a cross headed in by the young striker. And after that, HSV did give it a bloody good go towards the end of the game. There was a 10-second period where Magdeburg had to like clear the ball off the line, play it out, play it back in, then it hit the crossbar. So HSV definitely did have their chances, but they did lose 3-2. They'll be absolutely kicking themselves because with all the chances they had and with how clinical their strikers normally are, they should have been able to take something. Tim Velter walking away from the pitch, kicking the tunnel as HSV's players were kicking themselves. It was a good win for Magdeburg. They were resolute towards the end of the game. They can count themselves lucky, but sometimes you need luck and Magdeburg had it in this game. Darmstadt won, Holstein Kiel won. A game I thought was going to be really interesting and it didn't disappoint, but you'll have noticed it wasn't the highest scoring game of the round. Steven Skribski continues to arguably be the best player in the Spider Bundesliga so far this season. After I had said in like one of the first episodes of the year, I hope I'd have to say his name too many times. He has been absolutely fantastic. He opened the scoring in the 35th minute. He did really well to hold off some defenders and score on the half folly. The goal was originally ruled out, but VAR correctly overturned the decision from the referee and his linesman. And one of the more impressive goals from the Spider Bundesliga this weekend was allowed to stand. Darmstadt had the lion's share of chances, but for the most part, it 
Found like they weren't going to be able to convert on any of them until the 72nd minute, a ground cross from Braden Manu went all the way to the back post for Matez Bada to hit it in from a very narrow angle, narrower than the one in the Magdeburg game. Darmstadt just weren't really good enough in the final third to get a win. A draw was probably the correct result and it was a good point for Kiel. But still, Darmstadt undefeated in 14 games in all competitions, going back to their first game in the Spite Bundesliga this season. So it's hard to really complain with how they're doing, funnily enough. Heidenheim 3, Greuther Firth 1. Heidenheim continuing to move up the table after another good performance. Meanwhile, Greuther Firth slipping to the bottom of the Schweizer Bundesliga, a position they've been a bit too used to over the last two seasons. That's bottom of the league, by the way, not bottom of the Schweizer, which is new for this year. Patrick Meinke opening the scoring for Heidenheim in the ninth minute with a header. The second goal in this game, Jesus Christ, the goalkeeping from Greuterfirth keeper Leon Schaffran was absolutely awful. He had a shot come his way, he sort of deflected it and it, it looped up into the air. Looked like it was going to be going out for a corner because it, it would have been going out for a corner. And he decided to punch it back into play and straight into the path of Tim Kleindians for a second chance that he really shouldn't have been given. It was absolutely comical from a side who have been more comical than competent over the course of this season. Bronomir Hirgotta did half the deficit in the second half, a good hit on the half volley. But a penalty in the 56th minute converted by Jan-Nicholas Bester would make it 3-1. So a good game for Heidenheim. The difference in quality between the two sides definitely showing. Karlsruhe nil, Fortuna Dusseldorf 2. Two goals from Christopher Peterson being the difference in this game coming in a span of 14 minutes in the first half. For the second one, a really good cross by Mikhail Karbonik to set it up. Fortuna Dusseldorf didn't need to do anything after that. They were easily the better side in this game, despite Karlsruhe having quite a lot of possession. They did pretty much nothing with it. It was a disappointing performance from Karlsruhe as they fall down the league table. Armenia Bielefeld 2, St. Pauli 0. Let's not talk about it. Let's just not bother. Not interested. St. Pauli were on the Sports Ein Saturday night game. It's the first of two straight weeks that the boys in brown will be on the Saturday night game because remember the golden rule, the Sports Eins Saturday night game has to involve a team from Hamburg. So that's good news for St. Pauli or not if they continue to play like this when they're on the telly. They dominated the opening 75 minutes of this game, but stop me if you've heard this before this season, St. Pauli couldn't take all of the chances that they created. And you knew Armenia Bielefeld were going to have a chance to punish them. They did in the 76th minute. Yanni Serva with what must have been Bielefeld's first shot on target in the entire game. A strong finish into the bottom corner. A Serva header just eight minutes later would make it 2-0. And to be honest, he was the only player on the pitch who played well. I can't remember any St. Pauli player having a standout performance or any other Armenia Bielefeld player having a standout performance. This is a weird thing, right? When you've been going through the sort of problems that Armenia Bielefeld have been going through and after the especially demoralised result against Stuttgart in the DFB Pakal, you take anything, right? And maybe like Hanover, you know, one win might be all it takes, which I'm pretty sure I vote about their last win, which was over a month ago now against Holstein Kiel. 
But again, Armenia Bielefeld were not good in this game. This was a bad performance. They were dominated for 75 minutes. The only reason they didn't lose and they ended up having the chance to win the game was because St. Pauli was so poor at taking their chances. It's not like, you know, the goalkeeper pulled out great save after great save. Though Martin Freisel did have a, a decent performance, give credit to him. It just felt more to me, and I know I'm a St. Pauli fan and a pessimist, but it felt more to me like it was a game of just really low-quality football from both sides, and it just shows that both sides will be in a relegation battle come the end of the year, which is a shame, obviously, as a St. Pauli fan, but also, you know, it's not like I dislike Armenia Bielefeld. I'd like to see them do well, maybe return to the Bundesliga someday. It's not going to be this year, but... This was a bad game for both sides. The only thing Armenia Bielefeld can hope is that it gives the players at least some confidence to kick on with the rest of the season. They are now off bottom of the table, so that might help. Jan Regensburg 2, Sandhausen 1. The game got off to a fast start. Alexander Zirov in the opening minute with a fantastic looping header straight over his own keeper for a Jan Regensburg goal. It was absolutely perfectly placed. I mean, honestly, he could not have got it any further away from the keeper if he had actually tried. So, very well done to him. It's his second goal in two games, if you count this, which you absolutely shouldn't because it was an own goal. But it was... I, I don't want to take the mess out of him, but it was a genuinely really good header. <laughs> anyway, in a game of fairly little quality, there were two other goals... Alexander Esvine scoring in the 12th minute before quite the scrap in the box ended with a really good finish from Andreas Albers to give Jan Regensburg the 2-1 win. A spinning half volley to finish. It was really good from Andreas Albers and it was enough to give Jan Regensburg all three points which they probably deserved but to be honest neither side played particularly well. Hansa Rostock, nil, Kaiserslautern, two. Everyone liked that. A really good performance from Kaiserslautern, and particularly Terence Boyd, who got both goals in this game. For the first one, he had a header go straight through the legs of Kolka, who, in all fairness, I've been playing well before, but to be honest, when you're two most well-known moments of the season are mistakes, that's, that's not particularly great. Anyway, for the second one, a really good ball was played through by Philip Clement for Terence Boyd and he was able to hold off the defenders really well and use his speed to get through for a one-on-one -on -one chance, which he of course converted because he's been absolutely fantastic this season. So Kaiserslautern easily the better side as they have been able to now rest a bad run of form. There had been seven matches without a win going into this game, but that win keeps them in the top half of the table and finally addresses that slump that they've been on. Most of them games, I believe it was six draws and one defeat in their last seven before this, but that win clearly much needed for Kai Slouten, who continue to be really good this season. I said last time I needed to stop saying start, and I nearly said it again, I was going to say their fine starts of the season. No, it's just been a really good season for Kai Slouten. Two more games to cover, but trust me, they will not take a lot of time. Nuremberg nil, Hanover nil. Three shots on target in this game. In 90 minutes, that's a shot on target every half an hour. So, you know, real, real value for money. I know the tickets in Germany are much cheaper than they are here in the UK, but even for those prices, I would have probably felt a bit ripped off. Anyway, Eintracht Braunschweig nil, Paderborn nil. 28 shots between the two sides in this game. 
four on target. So, you know, real high-quality attacking football to be found from Rob Pederboom. We expect to be fantastic going forward, not in this game. And Braunschweig, you know, have been playing a lot better recently, so we would have expected more from them. Just by the way, it was three shots on target for Braunschweig and one for Pederborn. So, simply great from the promotion contenders. But, funnily enough, you'll be surprised here that 0-0 was the correct result. Anyway, let's have a look at the table then in this fighter Bundesliga. After 13 match days, it is still Darmstadt who lead the way despite their draw. 28 points so far. Paderborn still in second on 26. Hamburger third on 25. The gap to the other teams chasing has now closed. Heidenheim are on 23 points after their win against Reuter Firth. Hanover on 21 with Fortuna Dusseldorf and Holstein Kiel both on 20 and Kaiserslautern on 19 points. Even Jan Regensburg in the top half again on 18 points. At the wrong end of the table, Greuther Firth have 10 points and slip to bottom of the league. Arminia Bielefeld, after their win against St. Pauli, move on to 11 points in 17th. Sandhausen fill out the relegation places, 12 points in 16th. Magdeburg have 13 points in 15th. Nuremberg, Hansa Rostock and St. Pauli all have 14 points and take up 14th through 12th. Anyway, let's have an ever-so-cheeky look at what happened in the Dritter League this week. Alversberg retained first place after their third win in a row. A comfortable 4-1 win against Osnabrück. 18-60 Munich still keeping up behind them though on 29 points. Two points behind Alversberg after a 3-1 win against fellow promotion contenders. Vehen Ingolstadt move up into third place because of Vehen's loss after a 3-0 win away at Oldenburg. At the wrong end of the table, it's still Bayreuth in last they lost yet again. This time 3-0 against fellow relegation contenders Halasher. Meanwhile, Esbjerg lose their three-game undefeated run after a 3-2 loss away at Vull, who, by the way, have now gone undefeated in six games. It's the joint best undefeated record in the Dritter Liga at the moment, alongside Ingolstadt, who we mentioned earlier. Meanwhile, the other sides in the relegation places, Vakau have lost three on the bounce after a 1-0 loss at home to Freiburg Schwei, and Meppen have lost four on the bounce after a 2-0 defeat at home to Borussia Dortmund's fight. We've already mentioned Osnabrück there in 16th, just outside of the relegation places, after a 4-1 defeat to Alversberg, as mentioned. So, let's wrap up this podcast then with my games of the weekend. First of all, the Bundesliga. Eintracht Frankfurt against Borussia Dortmund. Obviously, two sides who have started off the season well. Eintracht Frankfurt in fourth, Borussia Dortmund in fourth. Fifth, two sides who are coming into this game having had really good wins last weekend. It is a Saturday 6.30 kickoff Central European Summertime. Take off one hour if you're in the United Kingdom. In the Spider Bundesliga, my game of the weekend is Paderborn against HSV. Look how neutral I am. I can pick Hamburger to be in the game of the weekend. I'm so fantastic and neutral. Anyway, it's second against third, so I obviously didn't have much of a choice. Hopefully Paderborn will be better than they were this weekend. I would very much expect them to be so. 
Meanwhile, HSV will be hoping to correct their bad run of form, and I will be hoping that they don't correct their bad run of form. Ah, lost my neutrality. It is a Sunday 1.30 kickoff. In the Dritter Liga, I'm going to go with Ezebergi out against Alversberg, two sides who have had very different starts to the season, or very different seasons, I should say. Again, stop saying start, Alex. Al are in 19th and having been relegated from the Spider last year, they're looking like relegation contenders in the Dritter as well. Meanwhile, Alversberg top the league and I hope to continue their good run of form. Anyway, that's all the time we have on this episode of the Going Deutsch podcast. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week to cover even more from the wonderful world of German football. For the time being, though, I've been Alex Woodward and until we meet again, I'll be the same.